Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. It's good to be found when you have been mocked. How can we walk through mockery uh, more faithfully? So, anybody want to throw out a couple ideas? What is mockery? What's the definition? Give me an example. You got a hand. When somebody makes fun of you? I think that's what you said, but we're going to go with it because it's good. Yeah, when somebody makes fun of you. Anybody ever had anyone make fun of them in their life? Okay, there's like seven of them. No, there's ten. Yeah, all of us. All of us have been made fun of. What's another example or, or what definition of mockery? Anybody? What do you got? Tell me a story about when somebody mocked you. Throw yourself out there. I want to hear the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened. Not really. But what do you guys think of when you think of being mocked? Josie? Awesome. Right? So Josie's playing with her friend. Her friend's other friend called her weird or annoying or and annoying. Yeah, that's absolutely mockery. Like, why, why would you even front on me, girl? I assume it's a girl. But yeah, that's, that's to be mocked, especially in front of someone that you care about. Um, and it's her friend, so there's like some betrayal in there too and some weirdness. I don't like it. I don't like it. You're not weird or annoying. Much love to Josie. Anybody else? Definition, example, Patricia? Somebody threw an eraser at you during a test in class. That's a great feeling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what? What's happening? Why did that happen to me? Hand? Nikki? Somebody just made fun of a picture that you were in. Like today. I'll just remind us all, this is a house of repentance, right? Brooke, you got a hand up? Somebody put bright colored gum in your hair at prom? <laughs> That's not funny. That's not funny. That's horrible. <laughs> That's not funny at all. Who else? One more. What comes to your mind when you think of mockery? Give me an embarrassing story. Come on. What do you got? At a girl, at a girl. I love it, I love it. You should. God made all of us unique, right? God made all of us like fearfully and wonderfully. And yeah, sometimes you can just be out, people you don't even know, and they just kind of like pack mentality, like come after you. Oh, I hate that. That's definitely mockery. We're gonna look at a definition for mockery. Here's our working definition for the morning. I don't know if it's been up there the whole time. Uh, ridicule, contempt, or derision, to ridicule someone, to point out a flaw and then just ride it all the way into the ground, to show someone contempt, hate, um, negativity, to deride someone, to just get after them to the point of like, you know, starting to believe that thing. Like my father called me a horrible name when I was 12, 13, and it was one of those moments where somebody says something like with so much behind the word and I was already feeling emotional in the moment and he called me this word and I believed it. I believed it for years. He derided me in that moment. I forgive him. I love you, Dad. Um, a derisive, derisive action or... Con so it could be something somebody says or it could be somebody, uh, something somebody does. Brooke was the victim of a derisive... I don't even know if that's proper. Uh, action when somebody put gum in her hair. Um, 
It wasn't on purpose, but Haley Elementary, second grade, me and my buddy Rami are throwing backpacks back and forth to each other. Back when like you had 50, 100 pounds of books in the bag and it landed on my friend and he thought we did it on purpose and we didn't talk for like the rest of that year, maybe ever. He could have died. I don't know. But he was so embarrassed, but I didn't mean to, but he felt mocked in that moment. Um, This one I love. Something absurdly or offensively inadequate, right? Why would anyone, just a group of strangers, decide to pick on a young lady for just being herself? Like, it's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. And that's mockery. It doesn't have to make sense. It's just cruel. It's mean. It's hurtful. um, It's personal. So, um, I already asked this, but I mean, we've all been mocked, right? And we've probably all mocked at one point or another. Um, How would God... How would our Father in heaven have us deal with mockery? How would he have us walk through it? How would he have us handle it? That's what we're going to look at today. Um, There's lots of scriptures. There's lots of advice on how to handle when somebody's getting after you, making fun of you in your face. Uh, The scripture that came to my mind, James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil, your enemy, your ultimate mocker, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the enemy, and they're going to quit on you sooner or later. I mean, that's, that's like playground advice right there. That's like my teacher to me in second grade. Just ignore them, and they'll go away. And that's hard, and sometimes it doesn't work immediately, but it's true. Don't give in. Don't get wrapped up in it. Don't fight back. Just ignore it, and it'll stop. Um, but from a, specific, a specifically scriptural perspective, your enemy that's coming after you for doing the work of the Lord, um, your enemy that's tempting you to do wrong, you resist the enemy. And the Bible is clear, he will flee from you. That's encouraging. The best, the best method of resisting mockery is to focus on the good, to focus on God, to focus on Jesus who underwent, who was subject to more mockery maybe than any other human in history. I mean, crown of thorns, robbed, beaten, beaten again, spit on, called names, never raised his voice, never defended himself, never fought back, just kept his eyes on his father. Let your will be done, Lord. Forgive them. They know what they do. What an example to follow, to emulate when we're mocked. The best method of handling for resisting mockery is to focus on Jesus, to focus on God, to focus on the good. I'm going to give us a definition of focus too because I like the word. Focus, a central point of attention or activity. If the whole world around you is falling apart and people are screaming and people are yelling and people are like 30 people in your face railing against you, you focus on one thing. You focus on the cross. You focus on the Lord. Another definition, a point at which rays of light meet after being refracted or reflected. I love that. Here's what I think of when I read that definition of focus. Let's pretend this light right here is God. That's his love, and it is shining down right on me. It's my job as a son of God to reflect that light, not all over the place necessarily, but to focus it to Jesus right? The reason I can have a relationship with God who loves me is because of Jesus. So I'm going to receive the light that God shines down in my life, and I'm going to use it to point at Jesus with everything that I say, with everything that I do. I'm going to try 
anyway. Another definition is to concentrate, to focus one's thoughts. Anybody take any tests this year? Right? Anybody like a, a super um, high-level athlete? You have to concentrate. You got to focus. You can't sit down to take your trig exam and be thinking about the new puppy at home or what you saw on Scandal the night before or what Jenny is wearing or what you hope Todd, nope, almost said something appropriate, or whatever, right? You need to focus, you need to concentrate your thoughts to get through life, to get through those tough moments, to take a test and finish it well, whether on paper or in life. So we are God's children. Everyone in this room is God's child. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. We're royalty as well on top of that. And we were made to focus on God, to focus on the good. The scripture that this whole sermon series is wrapped up in is Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Fix your thoughts. Focus your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and you guys, Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. These are the things that God wants us to think about. I was so caught up this past weekend with what happened in Dallas and all the negativity and fear-mongering and hate in this scripture. Just all afresh came up in my mind. You need to focus on the good. You need to stop listening to the news that says everybody's your enemy that looks like this or acts like that. Like, that's BS. That's not true. I, we're to love everyone not except for them, or we're to love everyone. And if you listen to enough negativity, that's your focus. I'm not going to listen to the negative. I'm going to start speaking some positive. I'm going to start speaking some words of life. And you know that I built this series around cameras, right? They're on our slides. We've got a bunch of old, cool cameras out there because I love the fact that we are made to focus on things. And when you take your camera, your phone, whatever, and you put it up to your eye, and you have that single point of focal expectation that I'm going to look for the good through this lens. I'm going to look for the best picture. I'm going to look for the best sunrise. I'm going to look for the best shot of my girlfriend. Boy, like we're made to focus on things, right? We all know how to do it. Focusing is about zeroing in, looking for the good, looking for the best. Um, so I would go back for a second, thinking about definition number two. Put it back up on the screen for me, Anissa. A point at which rays of light meet after being refracted or reflected. You are the point that God's love is shining down on. Where are you pointing to? Where are you reflecting that light to? When people look at you, is it clear to them that you're reflecting God's love? That you are on a mission for the Lord. I'm going to disciple. I'm going to pray. I'm going to um, serve my neighbor. Is that clear? Because you were made to do that. It's why you exist. I challenge you to keep that in the back of your mind as we continue. All right. So, in order to resist mockers and in order to resist the enemy, we need to focus. And we all have an enemy, right? You know that people are not your enemy. You know that movements are not your enemy. You know the government is not your enemy because those are all people. Our enemy is spiritual. Our enemy is Ephesians chapter 6. It's the devil. It's his demons. It's the angels that were cast out of heaven for challenging God and saying, we don't want to do things your way. That's our enemy. And there's so many of them. It says it was like a third of the stars were swept out of the sky. We have a spiritual enemy, every single one of us. People are not our enemy. Spiritual is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. And he is very, very accomplished at getting us to hurt each other through gossip, 
through mockery, through murder. So we need to be just as intentional at being great at focusing on the good when he's trying to get us to focus on the bad. Because the day will come, and I'm sure it already has for many of us, when you'll be faced with some serious mockery, some serious in-your-face um, words that you're potentially going to be tempted to believe, that you're a loser, that you uh, can't do it, that you don't have anything good to offer. And at that moment, you need to know how to focus on what is good and right and true and holy and pure, etc. So there's a story in the Old Testament about a guy with this kind of laser focus who was um, being accosted on all sides by enemies that wanted to distract him, derail him, get him to question who he was, who God was, and his name is Nehemiah. The story of Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Um, it's one of the minor prophets. It's set, this, this occurrence took place in the 5th century B.C., so 500 years before Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. And Nehemiah, at that time, he's the governor of God's people, the Jews, the Israelites, in Jerusalem, right? The holy city. He's the governor. He's the man. He's in charge. And he has been called by God to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem to protect the city of God. It had been torn down in disrepair, and he's called by God. He goes to Jerusalem. He becomes a governor. He's going to rebuild the wall. He's going to protect the city and his people. That's his God-given great thing. That's his task. And all of you have God-given great things that he's calling you to do in this life too. So his neighbors, the other towns and villages and cities nearby, did not want Nehemiah to accomplish his goal for the Lord. They didn't want that. And so they initially just outright tried to attack him, and that didn't work out. Now he's in the city. And the wall is mostly built, so they can't just go after and try to kill him, which is what they want, so they start to mock him. Nehemiah chapter 6 is the story of a man who knew, this is what I'm here for, this is my mission, I'm not going to deviate from it, and he's being mocked by people on all sides, trying to attempt to disrupt his work. Now, as I read to you Nehemiah chapter 6, I want you to pretend to put yourself in his shoes. You're Nehemiah in this story. What is that thing God is calling you to do? I don't care if it's to pray for your neighbor or to bring your whole school to the Lord. What's that thing that you feel God put you on this earth for? It could be a sport. It could be um, you know, your job. It could be your dream. It could be a skate ministry. I don't care what it is. But put that in your mind. And then do you have people that are standing against you that don't want to see that happen, whether you know or not? you got an enemy that doesn't want you to. Keep that in your mind, too. I'm going to read this story, talk a little bit about it, read it again. But you're Nehemiah, and you guys have been called to something great, too. Nehemiah is written from the perspective of Nehemiah himself, so it's in the first person. And chapter 6 is subtitled, The Continued Opposition to the Rebuilding of the Wall. I can't pronounce these names correctly, so bear with me. But Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab... And the rest of our enemies found out that I, Nehemiah, had finished rebuilding the wall whoop, and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. The wall is done, but the doors aren't there, so they are still completely vulnerable. And it wasn't like a door. It was like these massive doors, and there were more than one. So my enemies sent a message asking me to meet them in one of the villages. 
but I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and eat with you? It's a rhetorical question. Hey, Nehemiah, come out here and let's talk to you. And he knows they want him dead. They know, he knows they are just trying to distract and disrupt his work. And what does he say? No, no, I'm not coming. I am engaged in a great work. I am focused on this. This is my only goal. Coming to meet with you is not part of the plan. And that's what our enemies do, don't they? That's what our mockers do. They're trying to call us out. They're trying to get a rise. I had a bully many years through my school. We had multiple confrontations, and he was always trying to call me out. He's always trying to get me to swing at him so he could pummel me, right? That's what the bullies, that's what the mockers, that's what our enemies do. They're calling us out. They're trying to get us to engage. And Nehemiah's like, I'm not even going to go there. I know what I'm about. I'm doing something great for the Lord. I'm not going to waste my time with you jokers. Although he doesn't even say that. He didn't call anybody names. I am doing something great for the Lord. And you want me to stop? You guys, every one of you, again, I, I can't stress this enough. Every single one of you in this room are called to do something great in this life. Nobody in this room is called to be mediocre or okay. You guys are called to greatness. And you can be great by just being a, a housewife or a, a dad that brings home a paycheck and takes care. That's a, that could be a great thing. You could do that to a tremendous, supernatural, amazing level. But you are called to do what you do greatly, with great faith. Um, and we need, like Nehemiah, to know what we're about. We need to know what our goal is. So I got a clip. I've shown it before. I love this. It's a baseball movie. It's a short clip. But this Kevin Costner is this pitcher, and he's in this monster stadium that's packed out, and he's got a pitch. And look at all the distractions. Look at all the craziness. Look at all the hatred being focused on him. And look how he handles it. I love this clip. Check this out. that you can do that? Like, do you know that God has given you the ability to focus like you've never focused before, to clear the mechanism, to drown out all the haters and the mockers, and that you can just be about that one thing? Like, you have self-control. God has given you a spirit of power and of love and self-control, self-discipline, and we're not using it to the best of our ability, to the best of its ability. 
30,000 people screaming at you, a horde of demons taunting you to commit that sin or to fight. And we can just say, Jesus, clear my mind. I'm focusing on you. And everything goes quiet. If we just pray, if we just ask, if we just use the spiritual gift that God has given us, if we take advantage of who he made us to be, we need that kind of focus to get through this life and to do the great things he's calling us to. And I love this. Like, his enemy calls him out, right? And basically he's like, no. And then it says, four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave him the same. Four times they just keep, they just call her, Nehemiah, come here. No. Nehemiah, come here. No, I'm working. Nehemiah, come here. No. Nehemiah, come on, just for a minute. No. Our enemy, you guys, is persistent, and we need to be persistent. Okay, if he calls five times, I'm going. No. You know that the answer is no. Don't engage your mockers. Don't get tangled up in them. Don't take the bait. The enemy's persistent. You need to be persistent. The enemy's focused. You need to be focused. Note what Nehemiah does not say, right? He doesn't dialogue with them at all. He's like, no, I'm not coming. And that's it. These are all the reasons, and hey, you know, we can't, I came last year, and like, he doesn't dialogue, he just, here's my, no, I'm not coming. He doesn't negotiate with them. Well, you know what, let's meet halfway. You know what, let's meet at the wall. You know what, I'll come, but um, only if you guys wear flip-flops. Like, he's, no, he doesn't negotiate, he doesn't dialogue, and he doesn't insult them, right? They're calling him out. In my flesh, I'd be like, look, jokers, leave me alone. I hate you. Let me do my work. He doesn't even go there because the minute he does, he's in it, right? He is distracted because then he's like, what can I call him next? Oh, I should have said that. Oh, like don't even get involved. He said, I'm working for God. The answer is no. Focus. I love that. We need to focus on God when we're being mocked. Here's the good to be found in mockery. It's an opportunity to relax. It's an opportunity to relax because when you're being mocked, it's obvious, right? It's obvious when somebody's making fun of you. It's obvious when somebody's trying to call you out and bait you. So it should be obvious how we handle it. No, I'm not, I'm not even going to engage with you. I'm not going to call you a name back. I'm not going to take a swing. The story goes on. The fifth time my enemies sent a servant with an open letter in his hand. An open letter is the equivalent of posting on Nehemiah's social media, Right? They didn't just say to Nehemiah, come here. Now they're saying it to everyone. An open letter means they wrote multiple copies. Everybody read it. They're calling him out in front of everyone he knows. And this is what the letter said. There's a rumor, Nehemiah, among the surrounding nations, and people are saying it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that is why you are building the wall. You see how they're questioning his goal, his motive, his calling from the Lord. You're not doing this for God. You're doing this because you're rebellious and you're doing it for yourself. They're calling out like his heart's intent. That's tempting. According to these reports we're hearing, this gossip that they're putting out there, you plan to be their new king. We also hear that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, hey, look, there's a new king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, the guy that really runs the land. So I suggest that you come and talk it over, right? They've just called him out in front of everybody that he knows, and they've insulted him. They've questioned his calling. They're giving credence to gossip, 
And they're saying, you better come or you're going to force us to go and tattletale on you, right? That's what they said. Nehemiah, people are gossiping. People saying you're a rebel. You're not building that wall for God, but for yourself. You just want to be king. You just want to be famous. Um, You're even paying God's people to tell lies about you, that you're some important dude. So you better come talk to us. I mean, don't you, don't you think Nehemiah and his flesh wanted to answer every one of those and argue every one of those and like get up in front of everybody on a tower and be like, look, everything they just said is not true. Um, look, I'm going to address these point by point. I've got a PowerPoint presentation and an Excel doc. Like, I'm going to show you guys that they're wrong. Dwight totally stepped on your like iPod there. So sorry about that. Um, it wasn't a lot of weight. All right. Don't you think he wanted to answer all of their complaints? But what does he say? I love this. I replied, there's no truth in any part of your story, and you're making the whole thing up. Look, those are lies, and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. What did he say? He said, yeah, still no. What a great example. Nehemiah stuck to the truth. Nehemiah clung to his truth. Nehemiah trusted God with his reputation. His reputation was just called out in front of everybody he knows. And your flesh wants to defend your reputation. Oh, that's not who I am. That's not why I'm doing this. But Nehemiah, by saying nothing, was saying, I trust God with my reputation. If if I get a little bumped up, if this makes people question me a little bit, I'm okay with that. I trust God with my reputation. That's a big deal. I've had to do that multiple times. It is very hard. But every time I've trusted God and not fought back, He has then come in and established those were lies. That wasn't true. Justin's my guy. And he'll do the same for you. But if you mix it up, you get into it, you start fighting, God no longer has a great opportunity to do that for you because the waters have now been muddied and you have sinned by trying to harm your brother or not trust the Lord. Um, The good in mockery is an an opportunity for us to cling to the truth, to cling to what we know about who God is who he says I am, and what he's called me to do. Because the truth is this. We have a very, very good father. God is very good. He protects us. He loves us. He'll provide for us. If he's for us, who can be against us? Trust him in that. Demonstrate that trust by keeping your mouth shut and not fighting back, not taking that bait. Nehemiah, after they called him out, and he said, look, I'm not going. He says this, they're just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. And here's his response. So I continued the work with even greater determination. You guys, the good in mockery is it's an opportunity to redouble your efforts. If somebody is mocking you for doing what you know God has called you to do, it should make you do it even more. It should make you go even harder after your goal. Because People don't get mocked for sitting on the sidelines twiddling their thumbs because they're not doing anything. They're, not, they're a threat to no one. People get mocked for going out, stepping out in faith, and doing something great for the Lord. That's when people stand up and say, well, let's tear that person down. You don't get mocked for sitting on the sidelines. You get mocked because you're in the game. And I would challenge you, Christians, with this. If you feel that you are living a life of faith, if you feel that people see you and they're like, Jesus, and you're doing well by the Lord, maybe you are. This is between you and the Lord. But if no one is coming against you, if you're not receiving any roadblocks at all, if things are just right as rain, smooth as butter, and nobody is interrupting you trying to share the gospel, pray for people, make disciples, 
Do you think the enemy is just going to let you have free will and, and do all that? The enemy's here to oppose that. So are you really stepping out in faith? Are you really putting yourself on the line? Are you really going to the degree that God calls you to? Because the gospel is supposed to be offensive, right? It's supposed to be powerful. The enemy doesn't want to see that happen. So what's God calling you to do, and are you really giving all of yourself to it? Um, Winston Churchill says this, you have enemies? Good, good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Are you, are you like standing up in your faith, or are you standing up in your faith? I love Jesus, I don't care who knows it, and I would love to tell you about him. I would love to pray for you. That's standing up. All right. So, later, it says, Nehemiah went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deleah, I don't know, and grandson of Mehetabel, sounds good, who was confined to his home. Nehemiah, still in the city, still doing his work, but here's a man of God, right? Shemaiah was a prophet. It's like a pastor, a priest, whatever. It's a man of God. He's in the city, so Nehemiah's not contradicting everything. He's still doing his work, but he goes within the city to a home of a prophet of God who had called for him. And the prophet says this, let us meet together inside the temple of God and then bolt the doors shut because your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Nehemiah has gone to visit this guy, God's guy. And God's guy is saying, people want you dead and you need to hide. That's like if you came to me and I'm like, you need to stop what you're doing because you're going to get hurt for sharing the gospel. Nehemiah, it's already been established, knows that God has his back, knows that God has called him to do this thing, knows that God's going to use this to bring himself glory. And the prophet is contradicting what God said to Nehemiah. Here's the, here's the thing to know. It's great to get wise counsel. It's great to talk to people and get good advice. But man's advice, woman's advice, should never contradict, should never trump God's advice. Um, what basically happened was God said to Nehemiah, I'm with you, finish your work. And the prophet said, you're in danger, quit and hide. Who should Nehemiah listen to? God. Absolutely God. And Nehemiah was a wise guy, and he prayed. And the story goes on and says this, but I replied to that prophet, should someone in my position leading this great, like people are following me, man. Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position who's been called by God to do this thing enter the temple and hide to save his life? No, I will not do that. I don't care if I'm in danger. I trust the Lord. And at that moment it says, I realized that God had not spoken to Shemaiah but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because my enemies had paid him off. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin, and then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. You guys, if God is saying, I'm with you and I'm for you, trust me, what right do we have to run and hide when things get tough? Here's the testimony that Nehemiah would have had if he had run and hid. I trust the Lord. God is good. He's for me. I'm going to do this great work. Oh, but things got kind of tough, so I'm going to sit down. That's not a testimony. And do you know what the enemy would do once Nehemiah sat down, once we quit our good work? 
He would lord that over Nehemiah for the rest of his life. Hey, remember that time you're going to do something great for the Lord and then you quit like a wuss? Hey, remember when you were called to do something great for the Lord and you went and hid like a little baby? Isn't, isn't that how the, Lord, or how the enemy works, you guys? He tempts you to do this thing that you know you shouldn't do. He tempts you away from this work that you know you've been called to. And when we listen and when we act on that fear, on that hate, on that um, self-doubt, then he beats us up with it for the rest of our day, for the rest of our week, for the rest of our life. Have you ever been tempted to do something you knew you shouldn't do? How do you feel afterwards? Horrible. Horrible. That's the enemy going like this. <laughs> Loser. I got him again. The enemy tempts you to do what you know is wrong and then makes you feel horrible for it. A lot of people think God tempts you to do wrong and then he makes you feel horrible for it. That is not true. If you feel guilty for some sin in your past, I don't care if it was yesterday, if you feel ashamed of some mistake that you made, that shame and that guilt are not coming from the Lord. It's coming from your enemy. And you can fix that today. All right. The enemy tempts us to do what we know is wrong. And another thing is when he tempts us and we start to listen, like Nehemiah was focused. I'm not even going to listen. I'm not even going like, to talk to you. But when you listen... And you start to argue. Another thing it can do is make you start to doubt your calling. God has called me to do this thing. Oh, but maybe he didn't. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should sit down. We need to focus so we don't lose that. All right. The good in mockery is it's an opportunity to trust God. Because when you know God is with you, you don't have to run and hide. God can protect you inside the temple just as easily as he can protect you in the middle of the battlefield. He's God. He's got your back. You don't need to be afraid. I'll show you guys a couple pictures as we wrap up. So um, on one of my first mission trips, I was in Turkey, the capital city of Ankara. It's a hard city, a very Muslim city. It's a very young city. It's a beautiful place. I love it. Um, I was sitting in this little cafe with my mission team, and we're just hanging out, drinking some chai. And this protest group, right, marches by. They got flags, and they're chanting some stuff. And you guys know, if you know me, that I kind of fancy myself a little bit of a photojournalist. And I'm like, I'd love to see where they're going and what's going on. Because I'm hearing around the block and other places. Like, I hear other chanting, and I'm like, something's happening. And I want to go see it. Yeah. Bye-bye, Brooke. So I'm like, hey, guys, can I go check this out? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. But just come back, you know, like, alive. And I'm like, I'll do my best. So I, I leave. And I just kind of step in line with those guys, and I'm just walking and taking pictures, and I'm like, this is crazy. This didn't happen in the woodlands. And then that group joins another group, which joins it. Now there's hundreds of us marching, and I'm like, this is so much energy. I wonder, I wonder what they're talking about. I don't know. And I'm taking pictures, and then we file into this, the largest mosque in the city, and all of a sudden, I'm in this mob of what I later learned was like 10 to 15,000 people. And they're all screaming and hollering and angry at the guys on the other end of the white area. It's the government. The government is there, and this is a funeral for this military personnel who was killed based on a bad call by their government. And so they're super upset. They're like, we're tired of you pushing us around. We're tired of you putting people in harm's way. We're tired of you taking money from other foreign nations and doing their will for them. We're upset, we're fed up, and we're going to protest. And so they all just decided this is where we're going to meet. And every single one of those people on the right, and there are like five times more in this part of the picture that I couldn't shoot, are yelling that they want those people dead. 
They are screaming with all their heart. We want justice and there's none to be had. And I'm in there and I'm just like, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. I'm taking pictures and doing my thing. And then I see an opening in the middle of the crowd and it's all these young men. And I get on my knees before them and I start taking pictures because the passion on their face. And there was so much going on in this picture. Like these guys in the dark suits, they're kind of like, young Turkish mafia, and they're screaming at each other about the best way to make an impact, uh, hurt other people. And these young men in the center are like loyalists, like they're screaming and they're throwing their, their party sign. And this guy in the suit next is like downcast and sad. He's like, what's happening? I'm like, like, so much emotion. And I'm shooting this and I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. This place is so charged. And when they see me and they looked at me, and I don't know how much I do or did at that moment, but I looked like an American. Their chants changed from Turkish, we hate our government, to yelling at me, feet in front of them, death to America, death to Americans. And they're screaming that at me. What would you do? What would you do in that moment? Right? But here's the thing. I still don't know why, 10 years later, God led me into that place. And writing this message, I'm wondering if maybe it was this. I was in there, and I knew, I just believed in my heart, God is with me. God is for me. God has led me to this place. I am a follower of him, and I know I'm supposed to be here in this moment in time. I can sense his presence. And even though those guys right there are feet for me, yelling that they want to murder me, I am not afraid of them in any way, shape, or form. I, I imagined in my mind, I remember this even right now, if they came at me, like, something would stop them. I just believed it with all my heart. And they yelled their obscenities, and they yelled their hate and their anger, and I'm sure it's justified in their minds. And they never laid a finger on me, and I never for a second thought they would. My faith is in God. I look to him. Murderous mockery directed at me. I didn't fight back. I didn't yell. I didn't try to defend America. I was just like, I know God's with me. Everything's all right. I stayed there. I took pictures for like five more minutes. I wished I could understand what they were saying. And then I got up and walked off and nothing happened. You guys, you see stories like that on the news. People get murdered. But never for a second was I afraid. What is your situation? Where are you being mocked? Do you know that if you just like just commit yourself to the Lord. If you just declare, I trust you, I love you, I'm going to do things your way, I'm going to turn the other cheek, I'm not going to take revenge. He is with you. He is for you. You have nothing to fear. God declares that every single one of you in this room are more than conquerors. You don't even have to fight. Nehemiah goes on and says this, and remember, he's got some vicious enemies. Like These people have tried to kill him. They've tried to derail his life's work at this point. And what does he do with them? What does he do about his enemies? He says this, God, remember all the things that my enemies have done. Remember these false prophets who have tried to intimidate me. In that moment, Nehemiah took all of his anger, all of his hatred, justified, and he gave it to God. You deal with them. That might be the most important part of this message. Who do you hate? Who can't you forgive? Who do you want to take revenge on? You need to give that to God. You can't do it. It'll, it'll destroy you. Even if you win, it'll destroy you. Give your anger, give your hate from that person, that relationship, that group. Give it to God. He'll take care of it. He's got your back. Um, 
Nehemiah did not take matters into his own hands, and neither should we, because Nehemiah was a man that knew that Romans chapter 12 is true. Listen to this word from the Lord for every one of you. This is what God is saying to you, despite whatever you're going through. Never pay back evil with more evil, but do things in such a way that everyone can see you're reflecting God's love. Everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. The good of when you're being mocked is it's an opportunity to focus on the Lord, to love people, no matter what they're saying at you. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to respond. I'm going to wrap up and tell you the end of this story. Chapter 6 wraps up by saying this. On October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard that we had finished the wall, they were frightened and they were humiliated because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Because Nehemiah never deviated, because he focused on God in a very intense, horrible situation personally, his enemies realized there's no way that he could have done that without God, which means God is real. And his enemies, I think, realized, and that God is not for us, which I then think maybe they further realized, well, I want that. I want a God that's got my back. I want a God that'll defend me. I want a God that'll give me the encouragement and the strength to walk through hell, never looking left or right and knowing he's got my back. Nehemiah didn't deviate. And as a result, all of the surrounding nations knew there is a God in heaven who is real and loves his people. And I want to be his people. Is your life communicating that to others? That there is a God in heaven that declares you as chosen? and that he's with you and for you? If not, maybe you're not walking through your trials and tribulations the way you should. But you can. You can. Nehemiah's enemies made the mistake of focusing on strife and hate, and they failed. Nehemiah focused on God, and he succeeded. He did something that was absolutely impossible without the help of the Lord. God wants to show off in the same way in you. He wants to do something through you guys that's going to shock the world, that's going to make him say, there's a God, and he's with her, he's with him, and I want that. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Students.